Welcome to the Intuitive Homeopathy Podcast. Today, I am welcoming Grania McKeown, who is an acupuncturist in Chicago and a dear friend of mine from when I was studying naturopathic medicine, who was always just so inspiring, so on top of things, and a real leader in all that she does, taking initiative and creating beautiful things in the world, including her practice. And we've stayed friends because we've relied on each other for the shared information and complementary overlaps between Chinese medicine and homeopathy. And anytime I feel like I could use something other than homeopathy, I give Grania a call and she gives me some Chinese medicine advice and vice versa. Um, I'm going to have her talk about the Chinese medicine perspective on immunity and children's health. Well, thank you for the introduction, Angie. That's so nice. Um, and it's just, it's so lovely and heartwarming to have a relationship that's such mutual respect and admiration and awe. So I appreciate everything you said about me. And of course, I feel the same way about you and all that you've done um, in your life with homeopathy and really encouraging your patients and, um, you know, doing groundbreaking work in so many ways. And so um, I just love and appreciate having you as a resource. Um, yeah, Chinese medicine, you know, it's been a big part of my life since I was about 20, um, 22, living in Thailand and uh, learning about Chinese medicine to begin with. And it's just come a long way with me on this whole journey through my life. So, you know, things that I needed in my 20s and 30s are different from the things that I need now. I'm 45 and I have two children and one little newborn. Um, and I've just used it through everything. It's a philosophy, much like homeopathy, um, and some of the things that we'll talk about today. It's a philosophy of life and wellness and well-being, um, trying to be more in tune with nature, trying to be more understanding and in tune with our bodies and really listening to our bodies. I think there's so much information out there these days and people can get really confused. What do I follow? Who do I listen to? And there's no one more accurate to listen to about your body and your wellness than yourself. And that mostly is all that information comes from your body. So we just need to listen to our bodies, you know, come to a quiet place, which can be hard in this day and age to do and start understanding what some of the signals are that our bodies and our children's bodies are trying to tell us. Beautiful. I feel like you're a treasure trove and we could really dive in because I know that people are curious, like, how is it a different philosophy? Like, in what ways do we, for example, how do we understand the immune system in Chinese medicine? Because we are facing an immunity crisis um, in the world today, and especially in, in kids. And how do you, what's the perspective that Chinese medicine takes on immunity? Yeah, so it's really a holistic perspective, you know, um, thinking about the immune system. In Chinese medicine, we really consider it, we talk about the yang qi, you know, there's the yin and the yang, and the yang or the wei qi is our defensive qi. So we can think about that as the immune system, right? It defends us from incoming anything, viruses, bacteria. And so we think of it as the spleen, really, because the spleen is what's processing all of that information that comes in. And the spleen is what digests food in the body. And so it digests food, and if, it, if you're taking in food that's hard to digest, then the spleen gets full, and we create dampness, and then the spleen's not able to digest anymore. And that's how we see issues like IBS or 
um, you know, chronic stomach pain or um, indigestion or any of that stuff, it always starts with the spleen. But the interesting thing about the spleen is that it doesn't only digest food, it also digests information. And I think that's where we see this chronic immune deficiency stuff in this day and age with adults and with children. So for example, if you think about the spleen, first of all, with foods, right? So there's never been a time in history where processed food has been so dominant. So the amount of sugar that's in foods, um, and a lot of that has to do with the, the busyness of life, right? Parents are busy, families are busy. It's hard to have time to make food every night for dinner and sit down and have a good dinner. But that's really the basis for having a strong spleen. So we're starting with kids not having the opportunity to have those really well-cooked, warm-cooked things like soups and stews, where the food has an opportunity to absorb really great nutrients and water, and that's what our stomach and spleen needs as well. And so they're not having that opportunity, and instead they're inundated with sugars and sugars and more sugars, right? Even like around the holidays, it seems like from Halloween until New Year's, it's just like a sugar fest, right? There's Halloween, then there's Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. And so what happens is it's like, you know how you feel if you've eaten one piece of chocolate cake and then you have two pieces of chocolate cake and you just feel so heavy and it's hard to, it's hard to move. So that's what happens with the body when we eat too much sugar or processed foods. The same thing happens with the mind because it's also the spleen. So when we're processing too much information, after a while, the mind, the body just cannot process anymore. So I see that happening with things like overexposure to social media and technology. So it's processing so many images from televisions. And again, I especially I think about kids because they're susceptible to this even more. I mean, as adults, we also are. We're having that same issue, which is why we see chronic anxiety in, in adulthood. And I think that's really um, because of uh, absorbing way too much information as well and never having a break from it. So that's things like... Um, email or text messages or, you know, constantly checking our phone for notifications. And then for kids, it's TV, it's iPads, it's Chromebooks, it's at school, they've got other on screens at home, it's TV, it's video games, it's, you know, and it's just constant. So the spleen is being bombarded at every level. And after a while, it just can't do it anymore. It cannot defend itself anymore. So, and that's why we have these chronic immune issues. So the immune system is so low simply because it's been inundated that you have a little virus around and then the body's just not able to handle it when normally the body would be able to handle it. I mean, our, you know, historically speaking, ever since humans existed, there's also been viruses and bacteria and they're basically dropping from the sky. I mean, they're all over the place, right? So the question is not an issue of having a virus around. The question is, well, why can't we handle it now as we used to be able to back in the day? That is so fascinating. Thank you for your explanation. I want to clarify that when we refer to the spleen, we're not referring in Chinese medicine just simply specifically to the organ the spleen, but it's this, it's like the, it, the spleen is used to refer to the whole digestive system. Yep. The whole, the whole, the whole system of the spleen. And there's so many parts of it. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with your organ of the spleen, but your spleen's organ, your channel system is in charge of, as I said, processing food, processing information, but also when a spleen is healthy, 
the spleen also creates good blood. And so if we see a chronic deficiency in spleen due to excess of information that we're being taken in or excessive foods that are difficult to digest, like sugars and processed foods, then what you're going to see is that the spleen is having a hard time functioning. And then naturally you'll have less blood because the spleen's not able to make good blood. And so what happens when there's a deficiency of blood? Imagine you have these vessels, the blood vessels that are kind of empty. And so it's a, it's a ripe place for wind to come into. It's like a tunnel. When a tunnel is empty, you get all this wind that can come in. And what wind looks like in terms of, in terms of pathology is twitches, ticks, Tourette's, things like that. So that's all a deficiency of the spleen. And wind, you know, in Chinese medicine, wind is a term that, ref- can you describe the term wind? Yeah, it kind of, it's, it's very intuitive. That's why I love Chinese medicine. You know, if you think about wind, what happens when you're in the middle of a wind? You know, wind, wind shakes everything, right? And so wind is when you see something that's kind of like a shaking that happens in the body. It could be something like Parkinson's shaking, but it can even be a, a tick or a twitch. That's a type of a shake. It's, it's like an abbreviated shake, right? And so that's what the wind is. And so you have to unpack it. So in order to get you first, you want to clear out the wind. So there's certain herbs that you can use for that. And then, and I'm sure homeopathy helps so much with that too. And then you want to strengthen the system so that there's no place for wind. Because you always have to ask, well, why did, how did the wind get there in the first place? You can't just clear out the wind because you'll be clearing wind forever. So you have to clear out the wind and then you have to fill in the spaces with the blood that should be there so that the wind cannot get in. And you do that through eating a good diet. So warm and cooked foods, good proteins, you know, kind of think about macrobiotic or even paleo. I don't mind very much because people kind of understand paleo these days, but it's really just getting rid of the things that have been introduced in our diet only in the last 50 years or 100 years that that our DNA doesn't understand how to process. But then also things like sitting down to each meal, you know, having sitting down to breakfast. And I think that's so important, even for the family, even and, and to be showing our children, this is how we take in food is it's slow, it's quiet. This is how we help our digestive system to process all these foods. You know, we have a space in the house, maybe it's a kitchen table or dining table. We sit there together. We turn off all screens, even, you know, books we don't have with us. We're just eating right now. And I think that's something kids really don't get a chance to do. And even as adults, they don't get a chance to do. You know, we, we're sometimes adults eating in the car from one thing to the next, right? Is that really nourishing our bodies? It's not giving ourselves a chance to really digest. So we want to set everything aside three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And have that time and space to really eat with, with intention and with quiet. And that's how we begin to listen to our bodies. When we have that quiet time, we're able to say, oh, I feel kind of full. Or, oh, that food I'm eating right now, something doesn't sit quite right with me. You know, that's how you start investigating. You, you cannot understand the body unless you have that opportunity for quiet to really feel it. So that's kind of the beginning, beginning of it. And when you're able to do that and you're eating the warm cooked foods and your kids are eating the warm cooked foods, then they're building really good blood. And when they build good blood, you don't have the behavioral issues that you see when they're chronically deprived of good blood and the wind is coming in. Instead, their vessels are full of vitality and good blood 
that's warming in nature. And blood is so yang energy because we are warm-blooded beings, right? So the heat is in our blood. So then your body's filled with blood and then you have that yang energy and that's your defensive wei qi and that is your immune system getting stronger and stronger. Amazing. Your imagery that you've created is really helpful in building that blood so that it can just really resist and taking the time to eat our meals and digest that food just is so wonderful. Is there anything else? I mean, we would also want to, yeah, cut down on all the excess media information, not have TV on all the time, not have all of addiction to all of these pads and electronics as an important part of building our immunity as well. And just quiet time, just sitting in the living room and, you know, doing quiet, calm activities. Anything else for immunity? For sure. So everything that you said, you know, that's so important. Um, Having that quiet, connecting with each other, turning things off, but also being outside. You know, nothing is more important. So we get, where do we get chi from in our bodies? And we always talk about chi and that's the that's the driving force for almost everything in our bodies. And we get good chi from the air that we breathe and the food that we eat. So those two things combine together to give us our what we call zheng chi, which is the true chi in our bodies. And the air that we breathe, that comes through being outside and particularly exercise. You know, exercise as in kids running around on the, on the playground or in the woods, in the forest. I was talking to a patient yesterday doing a telemedicine visit. And, um, you know, we were talking about, she's a fertility patient. So she's talking about trying to get more, um, trying to exercise a little bit, but you know, when we really dug into it and questions, well, what kind of exercise she was going to a gym where of course she has to wear a face mask. And so was she breathing in good air? Probably not. It would be much better for her to just be outside and take some really brisk walks around the block a few times to get that good air in, into her lungs. And that's going to give her the energy needed to have that good junk cheat. And so for kids, it's the same. So not only do we want to say, okay, turn off the screens and turn off the, uh, the podcast and all that stuff, but be outside in nature. So you have the good air that you're breathing in, which is so important, but look at the slowness of nature. You know, look at, look at the wind and how it's blowing on the leaves and having a chance to really look at that. And that brings our whole nervous system down. And that's the relaxation of the spleen. That's the, that's the antithesis of constant stimulation of images. Quick, 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 fast, fast, fast on any kind of cartoon or TV show or video game or anything like that. The antithesis is that slow movement that you see in nature. Um, you know, a swing, a, a swing that's been attached to a to a tree, you know, watching that swing and being on the swing and feeling that movement. And that's just, it's the opposite of everything that we see in in media and with technology. And that's what our bodies are craving. And that's what the children's bodies are craving. And that's also what's going to help to really strengthen their spleen chi. So I always joke, you know, my son has been in the forest play school um, since he was nine months old. And um, I always thought I, I was a Montessori kid and I and I always thought okay we do Montessori but when he was born I heard about this forest school and I just thought that makes so much sense to me and I my parents are from Ireland so we spent a lot of time outside in the in the fields running around you know chasing sheep and chasing cows and things like that and I think it was so so good for us 
And so when I found this for school, I thought that makes a lot of sense for us. So I started my son just, you know, one day a week, we do it with other families being in the forest. And, but then slowly, slowly he would go a little bit more. And by the time he was three, it was a drop-off program. And that three-year-old year, when most of my friends' kids were in like a preschool in an indoor place, um, their kids were getting sick left and right. You know, lots of illness, lots of phlegm, lots of cold, things like that. And my son never got sick that whole year. The next year as well, he was outside. He never got sick, even though I'm in Chicago and it is cold. But we always were in the forest. The forest school was open as long as it was 15 degrees. So many days was 18 degrees and they were out there for five hours, playing in the snow, building fires, roasting bread over the fire, running around and, and doing amazing things, you know, climbing, climbing hills that were covered with ice and snow and figuring out how they could help each other to get to the top and, um, and, and then breathing in the elements. And it was so good for them. And then the first time that my son went to an indoor school, that was it. Then he was sick all the time for that year too. So it's so interesting. Like that's, you know, when people say, okay, it's germs and oh, because it's cold outside, then they'll get sick. But I just think of that. And actually we can be exposed to those things. We can be exposed to those elements, the cold and everything. And it's nowhere near as damaging as the other things that really contribute to um, reducing our immune system. So get them outside. That's so important. And for us to be outside as well with them, doing those activities that also those activities that create awe in the world, right? Like, like sledding down a mountain. I mean, nothing is awe-inspiring as sledding down a mountain or learning how to ice skate or, you know, things like that. This is such powerful advice. My daughter is also in an all-outdoor farm school, and she's been so vital, and it is cold, and getting her out in the morning at 9 a.m., bundled up and having her be outside all day, rain or shine, is a struggle for me because I have never experienced that myself. But I can testify that when she was in her Montessori indoor school, actually had nothing to do with Montessori. It was just the fact that it was indoors. They were sick all the time. So I completely attest to to that, you know, being outside, just building their vitality. And now she comes home and she's just like, her cheeks are flushed and she's just like, I had the best day. And they're just moving wood and digging dirt and it's the greatest thing. So um, so we really have to change our perspective and maybe our model on children's schooling and even our, our kind of germophobia. You know, how do we build an immune system in a child when we're wiping everything down with sanitizers? And what are your thoughts about that as you have a newborn, you know, and everybody's, you know, masking and you've got these kids coming into the world into an extremely germophobic environment. It's very scary. Um, but, you know, I'm sure yourself and myself and many people listening have always been a little bit on the, on the edge of society, right? Like we're in this, we, we joined these fields of medicine because we're interested in what's not the mainstream in society. So, you know, we just, this is just another piece of that. It's another step. Um, and we just have to, keep listening to our intuition, keep finding community that's going to support our, our opinions about this stuff and, and our intuition about this stuff, really. So, um, yeah, the, the sanitizers, I mean, nothing is more um, aggressively, um, well, aggressive to our immune system than those chemicals because the body has no idea how to process those chemicals. So that is so much worse than something that 
than a bacteria that's been around, you know, since the Neolithic age. <laughs> so those bacteria have been around forever. Our bodies know how to handle bacteria. Even think about coronaviruses. Our bodies have been dealing with coronaviruses for such a long time. That is no problem. But have our bodies been exposed to, first of all, masked for eight hours every day? No way. Have our bodies been exposed to these antibiotics or or, or even the testing mediums that's in that's in the tests that now kids are exposed to on a weekly basis, COVID tests, all those things. No way. Those are brand new things. Also EMF and Wi-Fi and, you know, all of the indoor kind of... Right, right. All of those new things. Those are the things to be more concerned about, right? And just the addiction to that, exactly. So I think we have to keep searching for what makes sense intuitively. And, and it's a lot of work. I mean, I, I honor the parents that even listen to your podcast because listening and searching for new information is a lot of work. And even just being a parent is a lot of work. So um, I salute all the parents that are listening right now. Um, and we just have to keep it up and hopefully use each other as a resource so we don't have to keep reinventing the wheel. But, you know, when you're at a school, like, for example, at our school, they're still masking outdoors. And to me, you know, just the science is not there. There was a great study. There's only one really um, control trial study that was done on masking, and that was in Bangladesh. And the information came out about a month ago, maybe six weeks ago. And it was a study of 350,000 villagers. Um, and they took two villages. And one of the villages, they had the, the villagers wear a mask every day for everything they were doing. And the other village, they never had them wear a mask. So basically one group that was masked, another group was mask free. And what they found was on average, the group that was not masked had a 9% increased chance of developing COVID. 9%. That number is so small. It's minuscule. And that number was an average so when they broke it down by age group, they could see that the, the biggest benefit was given to the elderly age group, right? So 60 and above, they were more at like 30%. If they wore a mask, they were 30% more, sorry, if they didn't wear a mask, they were 30% more likely to get um, COVID. But so that means if they're at 30%, that means the children are probably at 2% or maybe even 1% in order to come up with that average of 9%, right? So with everything, you have to look at the risk benefits. The benefit is so minuscule of wearing these masks, and yet the risk, we can it's so obvious to us, right? First of all, kids around the ages of four, three years old until six, seven, eight, this is their time when they're learning socialization. So I have a six-year-old son, and this, he's, he was four years old when COVID started. Okay, so now he's six, and this is the time when he's supposed to be developing his empathy for his peers and understanding simply from facial expression how his words and actions affect his peers. And that information should come back to him so that he can modify his behavior accordingly. But how can you get that information when he has no opportunity to see the facial expressions of his peers or his teachers all day long? It's a social experiment that is really dangerous. So what do we do? And you know how we stay positive? We find the things that actually make sense for us. So like right now, as I said, I run this nature play program. Oh no, I had said, so my son was in the nature play program when he was younger and that, that dissolved. And so I started my own and I just got a wonderful teacher who could be there with the kids who loves outdoor education. And I just told parents that I knew I put a group on Facebook and that's how we have our group. So he does that one day a week. So at least he's one day completely outside and mask free. 
And then all the activities we do, we just try to be with people after school that also are open to obviously not wearing masks and being outside. And, you know, that's what we can do. And, and then I, and I advocate for that at his school. So, you know, having conversations with the principal, getting together with other parents, gathering steam with other parents to say, you know, how are you feeling about this? In the beginning of the year, every, every uh, parent coffee I went to, I would just ask kind of surreptitiously, oh, so how do you feel about the mask policy? <laughs> just so I could gather some forces. But we need to do that. And so, we, so we're reaching out to each other in terms of community to say, well, who are the people that are like-minded and what can we do about this? Because actually in the state of Illinois, we have a mask mandate, but they've done a, a poll that only half of the parents in the whole state of Illinois um, approve the mask mandate. So you have another 50% of parents that are not happy with masks. So, so where is their voice? You know, we've got to get that voice out there as well to say, well, if half want it and half don't, the only way to really fairly represent everybody is that you wear it if you want to and you don't wear it if you don't. So things like that, you know, trying to find community and, and just advocating and, and staying positive. You know, I have a great relationship with the principal of my son's school, but he knows that I'm going to want to have these conversations. You know, when are we getting rid of the masks during the during recess? And I send him articles that he might not normally get, you know, from other um from other news sources about, about studies and about efficacy and about things like that. So that's, I think that's one of the most important things that we can do is just advocate. Um, and then, you know, you had asked about our own, my own health and well being. I was just going to say, um, is to model that behavior for our kids, right. Is to take time to do the things that are healthy for us so that they, that becomes just a part of their world and their life is like, oh yeah, this is important. This is even more important than finding out, frankly, what's happening, you know, on some kind of social media or whatever it is, is, is listening to our bodies and, and doing the things that make us feel most, most vital. Amazing. You are so proactive and so positive and it's such an inspiration and we really need to stand in our truth and, and share our truth with the people around us. And that can be scary and it can be scary to step outside the narrative that is out there and, um, and really um, own and create, you know, we have to kind of create a life for our children that is positive for them. Um, any other suggestions on how you do that, how you really, I mean, I love your confidence and your um, your positivity all the time amidst in it, all this kind of chaos out there. And how do you maintain that? I mean, definitely I have my moments of, of feeling like, wow, I can't believe this is the world that we're in. But I don't think we have a choice, right? We have to move forward. It's kind of like labor. You know, my labor story is still early in my mind because I have a um, seven-week-old baby. but um, from the first push, that first push to push her out was really scary because I felt, okay, my body is being torn in half. I'm sure many of you can relate to that, but halfway and halfway through that push, I said, no, I actually said, no, I yelled it. But then for my second push, I thought there's only one way to go here. We cannot turn back. So, <laughs> and it makes me tear up <laughs> just to think of that moment, but you know, it's like that. You've just got to gather your forces. And I, and I channeled her and I just said, okay, baby, let's do this. <laughs> Even if we do tear ourselves, <laughs> my son's here too. He remembers that moment. Even if we do tear ourselves in half, 
at least we'll be moving forward and, and we're going to get you out. And that's how we meet you. And that's how we move on. So I think that's the same thing with everything with COVID right now is like, it can feel hard to think outside the box and to step outside of maybe your main community who's um, telling you to be masked and telling you to get vaccinated. And maybe it's even your family that's giving you that kind of pressure. But um, we have to do the same thing and say, you know, there's only one way to go here. Because if we don't, if we stop listening to our intuition and we suppress that just to please the people around us, where does that end? You know, that's, that's a kind of life that you don't want to be living. It's not the life for you. So once you do that, and then once you say that resounding yes, and, and push that baby out or create a pod because you just feel like what's happening at your kid's school is not right. Or, you know, listen to a podcast like this or take a class that Angie, that you're teaching or something where you just say, yes, I'm going to do something different. And, and then you put all your energy and courage behind that. And you find the people in your community who will support that and honor that. And I think really taking that time for yourself as a mom, I know that can be hard when I had my first son, when I had my son. Um, I didn't take a lot of time for myself. I felt like I have to do it all. Um, I want to do it all. I'll just keep doing everything. And I I was really kind of depleted. Um, And with my daughter, I just said, there's a different way to be. And so I've asked for help and I've had help. And that's been wonderful just to have those moments of quiet for myself. And that gives me energy to do the things that take courage, to be proactive, to to lead and spearhead things. But when you're really depleted, um, let's say because we're looking at social media too much or we're eating um, food that's not well prepared, then we don't have that energy to do that. And it's a lot easier to fall into, I'll just do what the mainstream tells me to do. So doing that self-care is so, so important. You know, like, you know, whatever it is that gives you energy and life force, whether it's you know, doing self-massage, getting good oils and taking a bath every other day. And it's just your time for 20 minutes to be alone, to get grounded and to have moments of creativity. And then you can think, okay, this is what I need. Actually makes me think of um, when I had my son and I came out to see you, Angie and Ryan, um, because I was so, so depleted and so, so tired being a single mom of one. And when I got there, you know, you and Ryan took care of Dermot and you you watched him at night so I could get some hours of sleep. And it was only after those four days, which were like the best four days of that entire year, that I realized what I needed. So you have to have those moments of quiet and those moments alone and those moments of rest to even realize what direction your compass needs to go in. Right. We need the yin. We need the quiet in order to be that proactive yang, in order to have that strong immune system. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And the same for our kids. They need the sleep. They need the quiet, whether it's quiet mentally, quiet physically, even quiet. Think about quiet foods, you know, easy to digest foods so that they can do the yang. So that yin transforms into yang and then they can run all over the place and they can play soccer and they can run in the woods and climb trees and do all those things that they really want to do and dream to do. We've got to give them that yin time in order to do that young. And you're such an expert on vitality and you are 45 and you have a newborn. So it really is a testament to um, your capacity to understand these life forces 
and how to really master them. It's basic good advice that we all know on a fundamental level. Um, but it is how many millennia proven, you know, by Chinese medicine and history and just human history. And we have to just think of all of the things that we've added into our culture that contributes to all the developmental disorders that we're seeing in kids right now and addressing all of them. So it's a huge lifestyle shift often that is required to really improve our children's health. And it can be hard because it's changing our lifestyle as well, you know, and saying no to the TV, no to the devices, shutting down the Wi-Fi, plugging into Ethernet cords, making warm soups, getting outside, going for walks. And our culture completely just wants us to be these potatoes sitting on a couch, you know, eating junk food and just zoned out and saying, Alexa, put this in my shopping bag. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's crazy. It's totally crazy what, what culture is asking us to do. It's losing our humanity every step of the way and what makes us happy and vital humans. And I'm so grateful for all that you've shared today. It's just been so fascinating. 